what a blessing. So you see, it's, uh, it's easy to stay encouraged and pursue after God when you see young people around you with such a fervent desire and heart for the Lord and such great encouragement and blessing and what a testimony to the goodness of our God. Well, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, we ask you, Father, now that you might use this scripture in our hearts tonight, Lord, we, we desperately need to hear from you. And Father, in this time, while our children are taught the scriptures and now so many serve and teaching them next door. God, we pray that you would be exalted through the Awana program. We thank you for that, Father. And we, we just adore you, Lord, for what you will do in the futures of those young people as they just continually, weekly hide so much of your word in their hearts, God. So, Lord, we thank you for all that will be accomplished here in this time. We pray your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you'll turn there back to the back of the New Testament to the epistle, 1 Peter. We will have a rather practical conversation tonight and learn some practical things. I think that this passage, God laid this on my heart uh, several days ago to share with you tonight. And... Um, it just seems so uh, perfect and so uh, even more alive within me in this moment as I just think of leaving here tonight and going to join my family at visitation, the funeral home, and all that's going on in my life. I'm so grateful and so thankful for just the incredible care and love that this church just shows. It's so amazing. And my heart just breaks for people who suffer and are not part of a loving, wonderful fellowship and what that must be like. I certainly cannot imagine what the last week would have been like apart from you who are so wonderful and loving. First Peter chapter 5. I want us to think, first of all, about maybe our just our everyday average existence in this life, we wake up in the mornings and, uh, you know, there's different kinds of uh, morning people, you know, and they usually the different kinds get married to each other. So it's really awkward. So, you know, in my house, it sort of works like I spring out of bed and I'm super type A ready to go. My feet hit the ground running. My wife's not so much like that. Not so much at all. So, you know, she's sort of slowly moaning and groaning her way to existence and grad it's a gradual process you know for her to come to the land of the living me on the other hand i'm just ready to roll right off the bat but when you wake up in the morning i'm sure that you are like i am in that you have a certain routine that you go through there's certain things that you do and so you're kind of you know going through your thing on the same order in the same way usually just Pursuing your day, thinking about all the things that you have to do. And, you know, for some of us, 
Uh, that morning time is a special time, and we're able to sit down and just spend some time in the Word of God, spend some time in prayer, meditate. Uh, for some of us, it's it's literally just run, 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 and you've got children everywhere, and you know the school bus is turning down the corner, and little Bobby still only got one leg in his underwear, and it's a catastrophe. And I've already been through all those days, and I think Colton might have went to school a couple times in his underwear. It was just a catastrophe. But anyway, we got through all that. But we do we ever really stop and think in the mornings? Do we ever wake up and really just? sort of face our day reflecting on the reality of the devil, of Satan? Do we ever really just realize that he is present and that he is real and that he has a plan and that he has formulated a a process to come against us and even as I begin to talk about this, there's this, there's this thing in our culture, in our, our, our modern culture with our modern thinking and all of our intellect and all of our abilities and technology that somehow today uh, we, we put the devil sort of in the category of the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus and the Loch Ness Monster and Bigfoot. You know that, well, you know, the Bible sort of talks about the devil, but, you know, we're not really sure how that works. And, you know, we sort of relate to that in different ways. But we certainly don't want to have conversations with other people about the devil because, you know, then they look at you like, really? Is that really what you're thinking? And it just seems like a discussion that's going to bring up ridicule. And then there are times and circumstances in our life when, when what the Bible has to say about Satan just come alive. And, you know, the Bible is so direct when it comes to the enemy. And really, Jesus talked more about it than anyone, but Paul talked plenty about the enemy. Obviously, tonight Peter does, but all throughout Scripture, you find this very matter-of-fact, obvious Sort of just presupposition that, well, if you're a Christian, you realize that the devil is alive and well and at work around you. But it doesn't seem to be our existence is what I'm saying. It doesn't seem to be something that we really want to embrace as reality. We want to sort of push it out of our minds and pretend that it doesn't exist. Now, let's look at this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's begin reading in verse 8. And let's let the Word of God just begin to instruct us on this enemy that we face. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that The same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, maybe the easiest thing for us to do would be just to... Let me just make a few observations, a few crystal clear things that I think are just are self-evident as we sort of look at this passage of Scripture. The first is this. Obviously, there is a devil. 
So I'm just going to assume we're all realize that and we're all on board with that. But this passage of Scripture makes clear that there is a devil and that he has a kingdom, that he is uh, working, that he has a, a plan and a process. And what we'll see if we read the New Testament is that as real as the kingdom of God is, so is the kingdom of Satan. For example, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, He said, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to destruction. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Now, have you ever been reading through the New Testament and come across a scripture like that and thought, well, that's an odd thing for Jesus to say that, that, well, Satan has a kingdom. Colossians 1, the, the Bible says that God has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and conveyed us, conveyed or moved our citizenship into the kingdom of the son of his love. And so the Bible doesn't shy away from the reality that Satan has a kingdom. Second observation. I think that many Christians grossly underestimate Satan's power and their own power in Christ. I think both are often underestimated. Let me show you this. In 1 John chapter 5, the Bible says, We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, that's a very interesting verse. That word sway, it means power. In other words, in 1 John, what John is, is conveying to us that it's an either or. In other words, that every person, 100% of all people fall into one of two categories. They're in one kingdom or the other kingdom. And the thing that, that we have to realize here is that the Bible negates what we often want to believe about neutrality. We often just, there's something in our hearts that want to think that you can be sort of in the middle and not in one or the other. Now, not for us, but maybe, maybe for people that we love, maybe lost family members, people who are apart from Christ, that, but we care deeply for them. We want to sort of believe that maybe they're in some spiritual Switzerland doesn't exist. They're either in the kingdom of God or they're in the kingdom of Satan. It's one or the other. Either or. Look at this verse in 1 John 4, 4. Same book of the Bible. Little children. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, what I find interesting about these two passages of Scripture and, and the fact that they're in the very same book of the Bible is that the third observation I want to make about Satan is that we have a tendency, whenever we as believers think about Satan, to fall into one of two extremes, both of which are errors. Let me show you what I, what I mean. I mean that people often respond to information pertaining the reality of Satan by either maybe going with 1 John 5.19 that sort of Satan is involved in everything and behind everything and anything that happens, it's always Satan or there's always a demon or it's, you know, some demonic purpose behind every single thing. 
that extreme. Or we gravitate towards the extreme of 1 John 4, 4. And we want to say, well, you know, he who is in us is greater. Therefore, it's not really of any consequence. And so they want to just negate Satan altogether. Now, what I want you to see is that both of those are a mistake. It's a mistake to, to overwhelm yourself and over-focus on the Satan and the evil things that go on around us. But it's equally unhealthy to just negate it altogether. To try to just go into this denial mode where we just want to push it out of our mind and think, well, I don't want to think about it. That upsets me, so I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. C.S. Lewis has an amazing quote concerning this this temptation in our hearts. This is what he says. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, the human race, can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive or unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. In other words, let me try to explain this to you. What I think the New Testament teaches and what C.S. Lewis is saying here is that the temptation in our heart, whether to to error in one extreme or the other, both falls directly into the trap and the snare of the enemy. Because here's what the enemy wants us to do. The enemy wants us to be totally preoccupied with what he's doing and be looking for him all over the place and giving him credit for everything that's going on. Or he wants us to just deny his existence and not want to think about it and just sort of tiptoe through the tulips and pretend everything's just going to be fine all the time. But I think what Satan doesn't want us to do is sort of stand firmly in the middle and realize that both are true. And have a healthy understanding that Satan is at work around us in many, many ways. And that there's far more going on than what we can see with our human eyes. And at the same time, that God is greater and more powerful than anything Satan could ever muster against us. So let's, let's uh, sort of talk through this a little bit. In other words, uh, what I'm saying is that there's either this superstition or this substition. There's either this overemphasis or this underemphasis. And, uh, you know, it's, I guess the easiest way to understand it is to, is to realize what gives Satan a stronghold in our lives. You ever thought about that? In other words, if you were going to wake up tomorrow and you wanted to thwart the enemy's attacks against you, then what is it that gives Satan footholds? It's our sin. It's our sin. And I've heard it described time after time as if, um, if we were a, a, a piano and Satan's playing the piano, our sin is the strings. Because that's what he, if, if you want to, if you want to stop the devil from having a foothold in your life, you've got to address your sin because that's where the issue lies. And so if we were to get up in the morning, if we were to go to bed at night, not preoccupied, but with a, with a healthy understanding, if we were to look at our circumstances and our situation and approach life with a healthy understanding that there's a battle over not just my marriage, but every marriage. 
There's a battle over every godly relationship in this room. There's a there's a an unseen battle over the way that you and I spend our money. That there is a raging battle against the way that God would have us to raise our children. And that if we began to understand that the things that God has called us to do and the opposition that we face against those things is not coincidence or circumstance or happenstance. And, and Satan is powerful. But we don't want to give him more credit than is due. I mean, Satan is powerful, but he is a created being. He is a fallen angel. And so we need to realize that he's not omniscient. But he is smart and he is knowledgeable, but he doesn't know everything. He's powerful, but he's not omnipotent. Only God is. He's active, but he's not ever present. He, he's, 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 not, uh, he's not everywhere all the time at one time. Only God is omnipresent. And so we can't give Satan credit for things that only God can do and attributes that only God has. And we need to realize that Satan is in no way, shape or form ever in any way, any match for God. But we also need to understand the way that Satan works. And that's what I believe this passage is calling us to do is to open up our eyes and to be wise and to understand. And there's great benefit in this understanding. We need to know the way Satan works. Second Corinthians 2 says this. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. And then he says, for if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. In other words, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about this issue of forgiveness and restoration of a brother. And he calls their attention to not be ignorant to the devices or the designs of Satan. In Ephesians 6, 4, Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In other words, I'm telling you these scriptures because I want you to see tonight that the devil has a plan. He has a philosophy. He has a worldview. He has a way of seeing things. It's, an, it's a grave error to think that Satan is just going about accomplishing random acts of evil. That's not at all what he's doing. He is trying to accomplish his plan He's trying to put forth his philosophy. He's trying to gradually and slowly just ease you right off of the places you need to be and right into things you don't need to be. And so many times we, we don't understand that. We, we get overconfident because we, we think that, you know, Satan's just going to jump up in front of you with some, you know, big, ridiculous temptation that you certainly are not. It's, it's never going to happen that way. I, I tell people this all the time. You know, I, I say simple things like, no one ever wakes up one day and just says, today I'm going to be a drug addict. No one ever does that. It's a grand, it starts with little, tiny, 
often unseen steps and little things because we're not paying attention to what's going on around us. And we slowly move. And by the time we realize and recognize what's happened to us, we've, we've already gone so far. You see, this comes out so many times when, when I, I sit and I talk with people and, and there's, there's just these terrible things that are ripping their lives apart. And we begin to talk about when this started and how this occurred and what we as we begin to talk it's almost like you can see the the light coming on as they're 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 thinking back because the tendency is to think well just one day I did this and that's what happened but if you keep pushing back you find out no there was a little decision here and a little decision here and a, and it really goes way back but it comes from not being wise to the ways of the devil and it gets us in trouble so here we see peter says be sober in other words, be be clear, think clearly, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I know that this, especially this particular passage, is so often just sort of, it, it's, we love to quote this and we love to say this, and it, it just sort of, it, it just becomes as if we're, we're talking about the, the cute little lion that's at the zoo and, and you're watching him walk around in the little cage there and, and you just think, wow, it, it's so beautiful, uh, that creation right there. But, uh, you know, that's sort of what Satan is like. And I want you to understand that in the original language, this word devour, it means to drink down. And you have to understand that as Peter is speaking these words, the hearers of these words are literally thinking of lions whose mouths drip with human blood from persecution. So this is the picture. This is not the cute little lion at the zoo. This is a ravenous, horrible, disgusting, wicked mental picture that is given here by Peter. And so he says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood around the world. Now, when you read these two verses, eight and nine, what does this mean, knowing that the same sufferings? What same sufferings? Well, the same sufferings spoken of in verse eight. In other words, Peter is drawing the hearer in verse eight drawing our attention to the persecution that goes on globally in every time and every age for all times. That God's people are always persecuted and Satan is always after them and they're always suffering. And so there's this, I guess in a sense, you're not alone in your suffering. That it's something you need to understand, your brotherhood in the world. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus speaking to the church of Smyrna says this. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, I'm just guessing, but I don't think you've ever received a Hallmark card with that scripture on it. Do you ever read that scripture before? See, that, that'll mess your theology up right there. 
You're just trucking along and you come across that and you think, oh, I'm skipping that one. But we can't skip it. We've got to look at it. We've we got to look at this and say, what? Wait a minute. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and that you will have tribulation for 10 days. So I'm just thinking the next thing has got to be and then victory. God's going to show up and out you come. Now, until death. But then, then, you receive the crown. You see, Satan here is responsible in some cases for Christians being thrown in jail. Satan is responsible for some Christians who are persecuted unto death. You can successfully resist Satan and still die. You like that? Uh, you're thinking, no. There it is. You see, Satan can do no ultimate harm to God's children. You understand that? But there's a difference between ultimate harm. And what, the, what I want you to see is that I want this tension to come into the room right now. Because I want to illustrate to you something that is extremely unhealthy in our hearts. We cling far too tightly to this life. That's why you feel so uncomfortable at scriptures like this. Because see, we want to value life above all things. That somehow the greatest Value is staying alive. We, we think of persecution as, well, I, it's going to be bad and it's going to be rough and it's going to be horrible, but I'm going to make it through on the other side. In other words, what we're saying is I'm going to live. But what God's saying is you aren't going to make it through on the other side, but the other side might be really the other side. See, the greatest value is not holding on to this life. The greatest value, according to Scripture, is holding on to faithfulness. Amen. Let me show you. See, because it, it, just, it just rubs us wrong. I want you to be clear and understand that... Am I saying that Satan ever, ever has power to do things against God's will? No. Never. But what I am saying is that you have to fully understand what the Bible teaches. I am saying that Satan will often accomplish schemes in the life of believers that God allows for His glory. Now, let's just talk about this for a second. I, I, I want you to understand that when a Christian suffers, okay, when a Christian suffers... Who causes that? Satan or God? Yes. Yes. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Nothing happens apart from God's okay. But think about this. Think about, think about something that... This is really going to make you uncomfortable. Think about something that God and Satan... Mm, for lack of a better term, both want to see accomplished. 
that ringing a bell with you? For example, Satan wanted to see Jesus crucified on the cross. Satan thought that there was going to be victory in the death of the Son of God. God also had a plan. You see, what I'm saying is that oftentimes there's more going on than we seem to want to think about. We, we seem to want to just not, you know, we, we, we don't want to address it. We don't want to deal with it. And we just, we just think, well, well, God wants to do these things and Satan wants to do these things and God's always going to win. Well, that's true. But you have to understand what the Bible teaches about what God's true agenda is and the way in which the Bible commands us to be cautious and careful about we can know and understand how Satan works. And listen, the thing that's so astonishing to me is how many of us don't have this knowledge. And we, we raise families and we're in marriages and we, we have a, uh, we try to have a witness in the workplace and all these things. Listen, you need to understand these principles and passages like this that will be greatly aid you in understanding what's going on around you. So, how do we resist Satan? How is it that we, we resist him. The Bible says in verse 9, resist him, steadfast in the faith. Well, certainly it's by putting on the armor of God, Ephesians 6. But notice that Peter wants to draw our attention to this one particular way. That he wants us to see this one thing. He says, steadfast in the faith. And so, what I see here is Peter calling us to this ongoing confidence in the goodness of God that defeats Satan every time. In other words, when things come into your life and my life that we don't understand and we, they don't make sense to us and then our, our minds begin to, to, to gravitate towards God, why did you allow this to happen? That's when we need to stop. And what we need to do to resist the enemy is Hold tightly and cling to the goodness of God. In other words, Satan's plan is to push us away from the goodness of God, is to plant doubt in our lives, is to defeat us through not delighting in who God is. But you see, when we go forth in the knowledge that God is always good, that He always knows best, that no matter what comes my way, it not blindly saying it's going to be okay I'm going to no it may be terrible it may be horrible but God's still good God's still good and so when we go through a dark time a deep valley we need to cling to the confidence of the goodness of God Paul says in Colossians 1 if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel in other words from the hope of the good news it's the gospel it's the goodness of God it's the victory it's the ultimate victory of God it's the difference between our definition of victory and God's definition of victory if we were created if the reason we exist is for the glory of God if God made humanity 
in His own image that we might glorify Him, then the question is not what we want, but God, how will you get glory through me? And how will you get glory through me sometimes results in things different than what we think. Because oftentimes, we know deep down in our hearts how God won't get glory through us. You see, He doesn't get much glory through, well, we're just great and happy and fine and everything's good and so I'm just sitting back on cruise control. And that just brings God tons of glory. No. But here's what happens. Suddenly, the rug gets jerked out from underneath us. Suddenly, we're facing trials and it seems insurmountable. And you're... Faith begins to get shaken and you are driven to your knees and you begin to cling tightly to the goodness of God. And you, by steadfast faithfulness, begin to find the knowledge of God that brings about the understanding of the goodness of God in all circumstances. And when you realize that, then when you begin to read the New Testament, you see the stories of People singing in prison and, and stories of people facing unbelievable circumstances who are, don't seem to be worried about what is going to happen to them start to make sense. But you see, it's not until we're able to see God's goodness in the storm, in the storm. Because there's so much more going on than we can see with our eyes. Now, let's look at verses 10 and 11. And then let me give you one practical illustration that I think really just jumps out at me from this passage for us as a body, for this church. And as we move forward, verse 10, there's this wonderful little little gospel encapsulated watch watch the whole gospel message right here in this little short scripture verse 10 but may the god of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by jesus christ after you have suffered a while perfect establish strengthen and settle you to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever amen do you, do you see the whole gospel right there do you see look at look at it again let's look closely at the pieces of the gospel here who are we talking about the god of what All grace. You see, because when you just read through this, here's the tendency in our hearts. The tendency in our hearts is to want to go towards legalism or it wants to go towards works. Because see, when God pours out this good news on us, there's this thing inside of us that thinks, well, I don't deserve that or I I, I haven't made so many mistakes or just today I've fallen again and I've tried so hard to, to get past this sin and it keeps getting me and so that can't be for me. And then we get surrounded and man-centered and we see other people and we think, no, but see these people that sit in front of me at church, they're super godly. They're far more godly than me. When I read this, I think of them, but it can't be for me. And we get all tangled up in this tendency towards works and wanting to accomplish things for God to earn our salvation. And Peter says, no, may the God of all grace. Peter says, it's nothing to have anything to do with you. This is the God of all grace, all unmerited favor. Amen. Are y'all dead? This is the God of all grace. 
This is the only hope we got. This is the best news in the whole world. Man, you didn't have to fix anything. You didn't have to do anything. God came down and chose you and saved you all on His account. He paid the full debt. You were penniless and He made you a gazillionaire instantaneously. He's the God of all grace. Amen. See, people say things to me like, Tony, you... You get excited like when you're watching football or something. I said, you ought to see me preach. Man, I get excited. It's the God of all grace. Who called to us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus. So, this God of all grace, He calls us to something. That's important. He calls us to His eternal glory. You got that? Now listen. You gotta, you gotta, you can't just go flying by this. You gotta understand who are we talking about? The God of all grace who never fails, whose plan always works perfectly. I think we established that this morning. If not, go back and read Hosea 6, 1, 2, and 3, 7,500 times from now to next week and you'll get it. It never fails. Are you with me? So, His plan, according to this passage of Scripture, is that He called us to something. And what did He call us to? Eternal glory. So what's the guarantee? That we're not going to suffer in this life? That no one in this room will get cancer? That no one's going to struggle? There won't be any just random accidents and people just die? There's not going to be all suffering? Is that what it says? No. It says you're called to His eternal glory. In other words, you're going to make it. Guaranteed. If you're His, you make it, you succeed. That's the gospel. But after you suffered a while, oh, is that part of the gospel? That's the gospel too. But after you suffered a while, what's He going to do? He's going to perfect you and establish you and strengthen you and settle you. I love that. He's going to settle you. Why? Why this gospel? Why this, this unbelievably good news? Why does this happen? Because to Him be. You see? It's all about Him. It's about His glory and His dominion and His power that Satan cannot stop. He cannot stop it. He cannot He can't even pause it. He can't hinder it. But here's what He does do. He's always about trying to aggravate us. Trying to... Trying to cause us undue harm. Trying to... There's always something before us. If you ever just stop to think just the, the, the opportunity for bad things, why? I mean, every day you wake up and you go, just, just tomorrow, take note of how many opportunities you have to sin. They're, they're everywhere. I mean, he, he's, putting, he's putting them all around you all day long. And we need to be wise. We need to understand that. And so here's what I, I want us to see going away from this passage of Scripture. That all of this is sort of, sort of comes together after what Peter says in verses 6 and 7. 
before we even get to the, the passage that we've looked at, I want you to look just briefly at 6 and 7. I want you to see these two clear things. Verse 6. Peter says, Therefore, humble, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. You see, earlier I said that sin is what gives Satan a stronghold in our lives. And I think the two sins that are highlighted in this entire passage are the sin of pride in verse 6 and the sin of anxiety in verse 7. You see, the opposite of being humble is prideful. And so when the command comes in verse 6, therefore humble yourselves, we're dealing with this issue of pride because how do I know that? Well, just back up and read. God resists the proud. I mean, obviously that's what we're talking about. And so what is pride? Well, pride is any resistance to the grace of God. Pride is the anti-grace of God. In other words, anything that comes against the God of all grace, anything that says, well, you know, I'm pretty good and I've done some good things. And so, you know, God ought to love. That's pride. But listen, it's also prideful to say, well, I'm so bad and I'm so terrible that I need to do some things to earn God's favor. That's pride. In other words, pride is anti-grace. You with me? That's what pride is. Anxiety, on the other hand, is fear. Anxiety is based on fear. People who are anxious are fearful people. And so, I define anxiety as it's a refusal to see how much God loves us. See, if you're anxious, it's because you are failing to recognize the unsearchable love that God has for you. And so, why these two things? Well, well, first of all, let me illustrate the danger of the second one, anxiety, because I think that one is the one that's so often sort of overlooked and discounted and is so criminal in its activity in the life of believers. For example, in Revelation 21... Um, the Bible gives this list of sins and at, at verse 8 at the end of the verse and it says, And all of these who accomplish these things shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, what's interesting is when you look at what the things are that sort of cast you in there, that land you in there, and they all sort of make sense. It's the unbelieving, it's the abominable, it's murderers, it's sexual immorality, it's sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. But here's, here's the thing. It also says the cowardly. Doesn't it seem like that's a little out of place with those other sins? You see, we, we want to... We want to discount anxiety and fear as if it's, it's just normal. It's, it's just normal. No, it's sinful. That's what it is. It's sinful. And what we need to realize is that when we realize the, the weight of the love that God has for us, the immense price that was paid for you and me. For our redemption was not easy or light. Then we begin to realize, well, then what am I so worried about? If the Son of God died 
for my redemption, then what am I anxious for? And so when we feel anxious, how do we feel anxious? We feel anxious because, well, what's going to happen? You see, I mean, things aren't going the way they always seem to be going. And now things are different. And now, you know, our church is in transition. And now things aren't the way they used to be. And, and now, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and some people may go and some people may come. And this may happen and that may happen. And we get anxious. And God says, just stop a minute. Stop. Don't let your heart be consumed with fear. Who's running this show? You see, who's in charge? It's okay. Suddenly we all want to muster up our, our spiritual, you know, Barney Fife gun belt and go out and charge and solve all the... We've got a couple fans in the audience. But it's just that stupid. Isn't it? Who's in control? I mean, it's not as if every single moment of every day that you breathe in and out, God's grace is what allows that to happen. And in this instant, if He wanted that to stop, it would now. Just like that. That He is sustaining everything about us. And so, let's don't be anxious. Because the devil will get a foothold in your life if you're anxious. And you know what? Let's not be prideful. Let's not think that there are things we can do. Let's not think that there are things that we bring to the table that somehow God needs those things. And if we bring them, it will solve our problems. Or if we have these wonderful ideas or these grand plans that it will... No. Listen, that's the worst thing, the worst thing that anyone in this room can do. No. Let's lay aside our pride. Let's lay aside our anxiousness. And let's just cling to the love of this God with a healthy understanding. That we have a real enemy who seeks to harm all of us. And he seeks to discourage you and to wound you and to defeat you and to depress you. And that is his plan and that is his scheme. But listen, by cleansing your heart before the Lord on a regular basis, confessing your sin, walking in obedience to Him, asking Him to speak to you, and, and coming before Him in humility, clinging to the sure goodness of who He is and who He's always shown Himself to be, then what we'll find is the victory the victory in God that we so long for. And so that's, I believe, the, the challenge of this text for us. And my prayer is that we will, we will walk wisely and we will walk humbly and we will love each other 
And we will be patient with one another. And we will seek the will of the only one who matters. Not our will. His will. And may God show us. Because you know what? We know what His plan is, don't we? It's always His glory. So the question is not what you want or what I want. The question is not what, what we're anxious or sad or stressed out about. The question is, God, what will bring you the most glory? Show us that, Lord. Show yourself mighty. Let's begin to dream dreams a little bigger than this lifetime. Let's begin to look towards things and yearn for things that are guaranteed coming, but they're not here yet. But don't you just want to get as close as you can? Oh, what's my father-in-law doing right now? Man, he spent his whole life talking about what he's experiencing right now. I want to go. But until I do, let's be about the glory of the King together. Let's stand and bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your instruction, Lord. And we thank you for the victory that is in you and the command and the call to be wise and vigilant and not to just push things out of our mind that we don't want to think about, Lord. Father, help us to address the sin in our life that we may not give the enemy a foothold. Father, help us to cling to your sure goodness. Father, may we be a people committed to your glory above all things. Lord, help us. Help us with the spirit of fear that we know should not reside in our hearts, God. Help us with the anxiety that we feel. Lord, remind us. Remind us, Lord, of the price that you paid for the lives in this room who belong to you. Oh, Lord, what in light of that do we have to worry about? So, Father, I thank you for this body. I thank you for these brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you for what you are going to do in their lives in the days and weeks to come. Lord, fill us with a heart of thanksgiving. May we celebrate this season thankful for you above all things. Lord, for someone who's here tonight, and they're not yours, Lord. God, you're dealing with their heart. I pray that tonight would be the night that they're set free. They're set free to truly live, to truly be free from the daily struggle to be good enough. All of the fear of what might or could happen. And God, as you wash away their sin and bring them into the kingdom, the love of your son, Lord. 
Oh God, I lift up anyone here that doesn't know you. Oh Father, help us to seek your face. Be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name I pray.